All right, you didn't know you were getting me today, did you? Like, Pastor Gary, you deceived me. You came out, I was excited, I brought visitors, and then you left, and now I listen to this kid for the next 30 minutes? Listen, I get it. Um, you know, I, I love Dad, and you know, I'm not saying this just because I'm his son. I'm not saying this because I work for the guy, but maybe I am. A couple brownie points. Oh, my dad is the best Bible teacher I've ever heard, and praise the Lord. And God has been faithful this, to this church because of the faithfulness of my dad and, and his faithfulness to preach. Preach the word. So I love you, Dad. And and, um, and uh, I also know that you know, the same Holy Spirit who empowers my dad to teach every Sunday is the same Holy Spirit who empowers me to bring the word as well. So I'm excited. I'm stoked. And I'm ready to learn from God with you today. Are you ready? And are you ready to open up God's word and study with me? So the season of peace, season of joy, season of hope, you might be thinking, 2020, seriously? The season of peace? The season of joy, the season of hope. I mean, 2020 has been anything but the season of peace. You might be able to better label this season as the season of strife, the season of division, the season of animosity and anxiety. But the season of peace? The season of peace, 2020. Where can I find peace? Well, here's a thought. How about we stop looking to the news and looking to power and looking to politics to find peace? And how about we open up the Word of God? The Word of God, no document in human history uses the word peace more than the Bible. So I have an idea. How about we find peace in the document called Scripture where the word peace is used over 420 times? The Bible, Old and New Testament together, uses that word peace over 420 times. Do you have peace today? Do you have peace today? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with other people? Do you have peace with yourself? Well, let's dive in to see where it all started 2,000 years ago at the scene of a manger. But before we read some scripture together... In Luke chapter 2, let's pray together. Let's commit our Bible study to the Lord. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have. And I just pray now that you would open up our spiritual ears to hear from you, Lord. Open up our eyes. And I pray that you would now encourage us where there needs encouragement. I pray that you would convict our hearts, Lord, where there might be unconfessed sin to you. I pray that you would be with us now, Lord. Thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy today. And I pray that you would protect the freedoms that we enjoy, Lord, where we can gather together in your house and worship you and pray and read the Bible, Lord. Thank you, God. And I pray now that for those of you who might be watching this, for those of you uh, who might be listening, I pray that you would administer your peace to them today. We love you, Lord, and we commit our Bible study to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people together said, amen. Well, there is one major word, there is one major theme that appears at each of the three significant stages of Jesus' life. At his birth, at his crucifixion, and at his resurrection, one major word appears at all three of those stages. Can you guess? Love. No. No, peace, you're right, peace. (laughs) Peace. The word peace appears at all three of those stages. At his birth, 
at his crucifixion before he's about to be nailed to a Roman cross and at his resurrection. So let's start in Luke chapter 2 and let's see where we find that word peace. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read a portion of the Christmas story this morning and we're going to start in verse 8. Luke chapter 2 verse 8, it says this, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be be to all people. Verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, Who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, verse 14, our key verse, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Our key verse in that passage was verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Goodwill to men. This was the proclamation of the angels that holy night when Jesus was born, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. This is what the angels told the shepherds. Now, you know what many think? You know why many hesitate to come to Christ? Why many hesitate to accept Jesus as Savior? Because they read verses like this in Luke 2, verse 14, where the angels proclaim to the shepherds that night, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Goodwill to men. They see this verse and they say, why would I bother worshiping Jesus when he didn't even deliver on that promise? He did not bring world peace. That was the angel's proclamation that night. And on earth, peace. I mean, but you can just look throughout human history. You can look at our day today. And you can see all of the mess and all of the strife and all of the envy and all of the war. Why would I bother coming to Christ? Jesus didn't fulfill this promise that there would be world peace. The idea that Jesus came to bring world peace is a misconception. Jesus did not come to bring world peace. There there are a lot of misconceptions out there about who Jesus is, why Jesus was born. All the way from a theory I read a couple of weeks ago that said Jesus escaped his crucifixion. Okay, The theory goes Jesus escaped his crucifixion and went to India to become a Buddhist monk. All the way to the other theory that Jesus was just this blonde-haired, blue-eyed hippie boy. You know, that's, that hangs on my grandma's wall. And then more recently, did you hear CNN's Don Lemon said that Jesus, while he was here on earth, he was a sinner. That he sinned. Misconception about Jesus. I, I call it the Messiah misconception. A lot of us have Messiah misconceptions. The Jews in Jesus' day, they had a Messiah misconception. They believed, the Jews in Jesus' day believed, and they still do, Jews today who don't know Jesus as their Savior, 
don't believe Jesus to be the Messiah. They believe that the Messiah is going to come to bring them political peace from their oppression. And so the Jews in Jesus' day, their expectation of Jesus was that he came to bring political peace from their Roman oppressors. The Roman Empire was the dominant world empire of the time. Jesus comes on the scene. Great, Messiah is here. He has come to free us and give us political peace from the Romans. A Messiah misconception. A lot of us have Messiah misconceptions concerning who Jesus is and why he came. Well, he came to bring world peace. He came to overthrow the Romans. He came came to make me religious. No. When the angels declared that night, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. This was not a universal declaration by the angels that there would now be world peace, but rather the source of peace for the broken human heart has now arrived. The source of peace for the broken human heart has now arrived. You see, a Messiah misconception that we sometimes have is that Jesus came to make bad people good, to bring world peace. Jesus was not born to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Because we are spiritually dead in our sin. And we need a Savior to reconcile sinful man back to a holy God. Messiah misconceptions. The mission of his first coming was not to bring universal world peace. That will actually be what he accomplishes at his second coming. And I look forward to that day. But the mission of his first coming, the declaration by the angels that holy night, the source of peace for the broken sinful human heart has arrived on the scene. Even the pagans of the first century sensed their need for a savior and sensed their need for peace in the inner man. The first century pagan philosopher, Epictetus, he said this, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from grief and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearn for more than even outward peace. You see, there will not, there cannot be outward political peace until the restless soul of the inner man first finds its peace in Christ. A Savior was born 2,000 years ago in a manger. And what was being proclaimed that night was peace to the broken heart. And then Jesus grows up to be a man to accomplish the reason as to why he came. To die on the cross for the sin of the world. The only purpose who was born, the only person who was born for the purpose of dying, Jesus Christ. And he grows up, and then one of my favorite passages in Scripture where we, again, find the word peace is in John 14. John 14, right before he's about to be nailed to a Roman cross, he's meeting with his disciples in an upper room, kind of giving a farewell address to them. And then John 14, we find this verse in John 14, verse 27, I'll put it up on the screen for us again. And Jesus, before he was going to be nailed to a cross, meeting with his disciples, he says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let it be afraid. One of the very last words he uttered to his disciples, you know when he said this? 
Jesus said this only a few hours before he was about to be nailed to a cross, experiencing one of the most excruciating deaths possible. And you mean to tell me that Jesus, hours before being nailed to a cross, was concerned about their peace? Concerned about your peace? These are one of the last words he uttered. And he says, not as the world gives, do I give. Maybe you've come here today or you're listening to this and peace has eluded you for years. And you have gone through life exhausted. Trying to find some measure of peace and you have sought to attain peace in other ways. Jesus said, not as the world gives do I give. You know how the world attempts to bring peace? Through another relationship, through another sexual partnership or sexual experience, through more likes on Instagram, through power, through another person, through popularity. Maybe peace has eluded you due to the fear of the pandemic. I have good news for you this morning, church. Peace is possible even in the midst of a pandemic because peace is not found in people or in partnerships or in prescriptions or in power or popularity, but peace is found in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he comes to bring peace to you. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. You see, Jesus is a giver. The heart of our Father God, he is a giver. Jesus wants nothing from you. He only wants something for you. And these were the words we read it a moment ago in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, where he says... The angels, for unto us, for unto us, for to you a child is born. Isaiah the prophet, when he prophesied about this scene in Luke chapter 2, he said in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, for unto you a child is born, for unto us, for you a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And you will not have internal peace until you invite the Prince of Peace into your heart. The word peace appears roughly 300 times in the Old Testament alone. 300 times the word peace appears in the Old Testament. About roughly a third of those times that the word peace is mentioned, it's talking about a peace offering. Now, what is a peace offering? Is a peace offering something that the Jews and In the Old Testament, they would give to God to appease His wrath or to reconcile something. God's angry with His people, and so they're bringing a peace offering to God to reconcile that relationship, to appease His anger. That's kind of our modern idea of a peace offering. You know, guys, you know this game. Fellas, if you are married, I'm going to give you some advice today, okay? Take notes, fellas. You can pretend to be taking notes on Scripture. Give me some relationship advice, all right? A peace offering, you know, guys, when we've offended our girls, when we've offended or we've hurt our wife... Guys, you got a girlfriend. You know, the peace offering we usually bring our significant other are like flowers. Okay, if, we, if we've, you know, misbehaved, we, we bring them flowers to kind of appease their wrath. Maybe some chocolate. Okay, fellas, listen. The peace offering I bring my wife, listen now. The peace offering I bring my wife is not flowers, not chocolate. Although she loves both, the peace offering I bring is Chick-fil-A. Now, come on. <laughs> Works every time now. Number one chicken sandwich, Polynesian sauce on the side, sweet tea, to be exact. A peace offering. Now, was that the idea of a peace offering in the Old Testament? 
bringing something to God to appease his wrath because God is angry with me? No. In, in Leviticus chapter 7, it outlines exactly what a peace offering was, and it's actually almost the exact opposite of what I just described to you. A peace offering in the Old Testament was a voluntary sacrifice that the worshiper would bring to God in order to say, thank you, God. It was a response. Thank you, God, for offering peace in my life. Thank you, God, for your provision. Thank you, God, for your gifts. Thank you, God, for giving. A peace offering was not the initiative of the worshiper to give to God to appease his wrath. God had already blessed them, provided for them. God had already offered peace to their hearts, and the peace offering was saying, thank you, God. Thank you for offering peace in my life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, what? That he gave. God is a giver. And like the peace offering in the Old Testament, it came in the form of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago where God gave to us his son Jesus Christ. That if we surrender our lives and we come into a relationship with Jesus, we don't need to bring anything to God to appease his anger. His wrath was poured on his son Jesus Christ and when we receive Jesus Christ, we get to just say thank you God. We take this concept of a peace offering into our relationships with God and with other people and say and think, if I want to obtain peace here in this life, then I have to give of myself. I have to give more of my time. I have to give more of my money. I have to give more of my energy. Wrong. Now, giving of yourself is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. But if you seek to obtain peace by giving more of yourself, it will always fail you. Jesus Christ gave, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth 2,000 years ago to offer peace to the broken human heart and all you have to do is respond. Thank you, God. Are you at peace with God today? Simply respond. So peace. It's the proclamation at Jesus' birth. Peace. One of the last words Jesus uttered to his disciples before his crucifixion. And then again in John chapter 20... Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. What do you think the first word, the first word out of Jesus' mouth is to his disciples that day? Peace. And in John chapter 20, verse 19, I have it here on the screen. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says this a few verses earlier. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews because of persecution... Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. The very first word Jesus utters to his disciples, peace be with you. And he doesn't just say it one time. No, not even twice. He says it three times. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And then what does he do? He shows them the marks of his crucifixion. He shows them the nail prints in his hand, he shows them his side, and he says, peace be with you, as if to say, these marks, the nails in my hand, my punishment, this is what brings you peace. That's exactly what Isaiah the prophet would say in Isaiah 53, 5, when he says, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sin, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. The wounds of Christ are Bring us peace. Peace. He says it three times because Jesus knows that the greatest need for mankind is the need for God's peace.
To be at peace with God, number one. To be at peace with one another, number two. And to be at peace with yourself. And you won't get number two and number three unless you first have number one, peace with God. Peace with God. And you can't have peace with God unless you have a relationship with Jesus. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 that Jesus is our peace. Not only does Jesus offer us peace, but Jesus is actually the personification of peace. He is our peace. And then Paul would go to say in that same passage, Ephesians chapter 2, that there is this wall of separation between sinful man and a holy God. This wall of separation. And by Jesus' death on the cross, he abolished that wall of separation. And Paul says that Jesus came to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. You might tell me this morning, Pastor Austin, I can't cross that wall. I am too far off from God. I have done too much. I am ashamed of my past. I carry around the guilt and shame for my stupid mistakes. I am too far from God. You might also think, I'm pretty good. I go to church fairly frequently. I'm generally a good person. I haven't done terrible stuff growing up. That wall of separation still exists. Your good works are not good enough to abolish that wall because Jesus does not grade on the curve. Jesus grades on the cross. And we are all sinners and guilty before the cross because of what we've done. Because the Bible says that our good works are like filthy rags before a holy God. So whether you're far off or whether you feel near to God, that wall is still there, but Jesus came to abolish it. And Jesus says, I have come to bring peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Nothing you have done, no matter how awful or stupid decisions you feel that you have made in your past, I know people who are not willing to accept the peace that God freely offers them because they feel too dirty. There is nothing that you can do where God still doesn't say today to you, I am offering you my peace. And if you receive my son, Jesus Christ, that wall of separation was abolished so that those who are far off can still be reconciled back to a holy God. Receive it and know his peace today. And when you know Jesus, you know his forgiveness. Whatever you've done, you can experience His forgiveness, a conscience cleared, no more guilt, no more shame, no more condemnation, have assurance of heaven and no love immeasurable. That is God's peace. Do you know it today? Do you know God's peace? Do you have peace with God, number one? But number two, do you have peace with others? Do you have peace with one another? Has anyone ever lied to you? Deceived you? hurt you, abandoned you? Have you ever done that to someone else? That's why we need Jesus. We need Jesus to be at peace with one another. David writes about a similar experience he had in the Psalms where he felt a measure of rejection by his own parents. The Bible doesn't detail what that rejection was like, but in Psalm 27 verse 10 he says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Something in his childhood left him feeling abandoned, but he knew God never will. Jesus is the only one who will never leave you. He is all we need to be at peace with God. He is all we need to be at peace with others. Because God, through Jesus, will help you to forgive those who have hurt you. And he will forgive you for doing that to other people. 
Do you have peace with others? And then finally, number three, what about being at peace with yourself? I know that many of you probably know people who are not at peace with themselves today. And maybe in a room this large, you would say to me this morning, I'm, not, I'm one of those people, I'm not at peace with myself. And many of you know those people, and to try to cope, they self-medicate or they self-harm. Why? What are they trying to escape? What pain are they trying to numb? That's why a lot of people are strung out on drugs and alcohol. Because they're not at peace with themselves. They're not at peace with God. One out of every 13 American adults are alcohol dependent. A nice way of saying an alcoholic. One out of every 13. And especially due to the pandemic and the isolation that our society has recently been experiencing, the CDC put out a report in late August. And they said that in early June, nearly half... 40%, nearly half of American adults experienced mental health or substance abuse issues directly related to the pandemic. Nearly half of American adults. Listen, different states, different governments can say the church isn't essential. I think there's one thing that we've learned over the past year is that Jesus Christ is essential and the peace that he offers through a relationship with his son Jesus, that is essential. That is essential. Are you at peace with yourself this morning? You will not experience that internal peace that you've been longing for and that you've been seeking and chasing after until you invite the Prince of Peace into your heart. There was uh, this painting competition where two painters were asked to paint a visual expression of what they thought peace looked like. And so this one painter, he goes to paint what he believes peace looks like, and he paints this beautiful scenery, just this this beach scenery, uh, very serene, the waters are calm, the sun is setting, just a nice cool breeze in the painting. The picture is just very serene, very calming. And then there's another picture that the second artist is painting, and he goes and attempts to visually express his idea of what peace looks like. And he also paints a, be- paints a beach scene. But this beach scene is chaotic, uh, overcast, lots of clouds, thunder, there's lightning in the image. There's a big boulder in the water and the waves, he paints the waves crashing against the water, or the waves crashing against the boulder. And then in the middle of that boulder, he paints a bird. And the bird is sitting and the bird is singing. That's what peace looks like. And 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son, Jesus, to be born in a manger so that you could experience that peace no matter what storms you face in life. I want to close by comparing two different men. These men are fairly well known. Many of you know um, the first man, his name is H.G. Wells. Now, H.G. Wells was a pretty famous science fiction author in the uh, 19th, early 20th century. And uh, one of his famous works was called War of the Worlds. And many of you may be more, be more familiar with the 2005 film with Tom Cruise called War of the Worlds. It was loosely based off of H.G. Wells' novel, science fiction novel, War of the Worlds. Well, H.G. Wells, he lived a, a pretty hard life, a pretty troublesome life. Different challenges, different struggles, different suffering experiences. And he grew up in deep poverty. Never grew up with any money. 
And when H.G. Wells got older, he married his first wife, and they divorced. And so then he goes to remarry, and he marries again, and shortly after their marriage, she tragically dies. H.G. Wells was also a diabetic, and many believe that his liver cancer was the source of his death. Suffered through liver cancer, and that's how he died. Hard life. And before he died, H.G. Wells, he said this. He said, the time has come for me to reorganize my life, my peace. I cry out. I cannot adjust my life to secure any fruitful peace. I'm at 64 years old, still seeking peace. It is a hopeless dream. And about that same time, there was a man who lived also in the 1800s. His name was Horatio Spafford. And Horatio Spafford, he was a believer in Jesus, loved the Lord, was very active in his church with his wife, Anna. And they were blessed with five kids. One boy, four girls. And then tragedy hit. And his four-year-old boy died of scarlet fever. And then exactly one year after his son died, the great Chicago fire of 1871 swept through the city, killing 300 people. And Horatio Spafford owned many properties in the Chicago area, a very wealthy man. His property's gone because of the fire. Exactly two years after that, he decides, you know, my family needs a break, need a little vacation. So they go for holiday out in England, and he sends his wife and his four daughters across the Atlantic to England, and he says, wait there for me, I'll meet you in a couple of days, I have some unfinished business left to do in Chicago. On that journey across the Atlantic, the boat that his wife and four girls were on was hit by an iron ship. 226 people died that day. And all four of his daughters drowned. I've got two girls. So this story is hard. His wife was found unconscious, laying on a plank of wood in the middle of the Atlantic. She was saved, gets across to England, sends a telegram message back to Horatio Spafford with the words, saved alone. Horatio gets the news, rushes immediately to get to his wife. And as he's making his way across the Atlantic, the captain of that ship points to Horatio Spafford, this is the spot where your daughters drown. And Horatio goes back to his cabin in the ship. And he pens these words, a famous hymn we still sing today. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea billows, roll. Whatever my lot, I will choose to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. You know the difference between H.G. Wells and Horatio Spafford? Not the absence of grief. Not one had a good life and one suffered. No, both had grief, both suffered. The difference between H.G. Wells and Horatio Spafford? Their source of peace.
H.G. Wells says it's a hopeless dream. Horatio Spafford had his peace in Jesus Christ. You know, when you say yes to Jesus, when you accept Jesus, Jesus doesn't always promise to remove suffering from you, but he improves your ability to suffer successfully with a good attitude and with peace in your hearts that passes understanding. And that's what Paul would say in Philippians 4, 7. He says, cry out to the Lord, give the Lord your anxieties, and the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't even know why I feel this way. I don't even know how I have peace in the midst of my circumstances, but I have the peace of God because true peace supersedes your circumstances when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the same words that he uttered in John 14 are the same words he tells you today, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Are you experiencing God's peace this morning? Are you experiencing peace with one another? Do you have peace with yourself? How do I get this peace, Austin? Romans 5.1 tells us how we can get this peace. Romans 5.1 says, Since we have been made right with God by our faith, we have peace with Him because of what Jesus has done for us. How can you be right with God? By placing your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, believing that He died for your sins and believing that He rose again. And therefore, it's a promise. I will give you my peace. Peace on this life, peace with other people, peace with yourself, and the assurance of going to be with Him when you die from this world. Do you know that today? Do you have peace with God today? You can have peace with God. It's as simple as just asking Him to come into your life by surrendering your life to Jesus, by believing on the cross that He died for your sins, and receiving the free gift that He offers. You don't have to do anything else. You are done trying. You are done searching. You have found peace in Jesus Christ. Receive it today. I'm going to give you the opportunity now as we pray together. And if you are not at peace with God, get right with God by trusting in Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, He was born in a manger. And that's why we can call this season the season of peace. So as we go in prayer now, would you just, if that's you today... Would you just, this this has to be your choice, but if you want to experience God's peace today, would you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. You can repeat it after me. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it's just your humble attitude, your heart before the Lord, just wanting to be with Him and receiving His Son, Jesus. So let's pray together now. And if you would say, Austin, that is me. I want to be at peace with God today. Then just utter this in your heart to the Lord. Dear God, I want to be at peace with you. Would you give me your peace through a relationship with Jesus today? I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I give you my life, Jesus. I believe in you. 
Thank you for offering your peace. In Jesus' name. For those of you who maybe are not at peace with someone else, there's been strife, there's been tension, or maybe you're not at peace with yourself. Again, you won't have peace with others or yourself until you have peace with God. But let me just pray for you and ask that God's peace would minister to that situation. Lord, would you administer your peace to them that they might have peace with someone? There's been, there's been someone here who has not spoken to someone in a long time for whatever reason. May you reconcile them and may you bring your peace. May the person listening know your peace today. May they forgive. May you forgive them. And may your peace pass understanding. Someone who has just been struggling through the isolation or this pandemic, they've been afraid. May you administer your peace to them in Jesus' name. May your peace come over them that passes understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit. Encourage them today. And may they know this time as a season of peace, no matter what the circumstances might be, because they know you, Jesus, and that is where their peace is found. We love you, Lord. Thank you. We're here to say thank you for your peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people together said, amen and amen.